0: Hello and welcome to the Sonic Fruit Film Podcast, where we aim to celebrate movies through the simple act of talking about our favourites. I'm Bennett Maples and today I'm joined by the indisputable Imogen Church, writer and voice talent, and the undeniable Carl Cole, composer and Sonic Fruit's resident Foley artist. In this episode, we're discussing Pan's Labyrinth, which did not feature a pipe-playing behooved Bowie as we'd expected, but still is a cracking movie.
1: That was beautiful Now I'm
0: going to start in the interest of openness and honesty and say that the three of us did assemble a few weeks ago and attempted to do this one and some of us hadn't watched the film
1: For a while Yeah When you say some of us you mean you and me Yeah I do Yeah. Carl watched it Yeah I did Did loads of research
0: Yeah So we've given him time to forget that Yeah And now we've watched it So
1: we're going to to sound like we know
0: what we are talking about um, but it turned out for this film that it mattered. It did. Because it's an odd one.
1: We couldn't wing it. No, it's a re- I tried. think it's a
0: great film. It's probably one of my favourite films one, of all time. It's
1: absolutely one of my favourite films ever. Um,
0: and it's tricky to say why, because it's it's got oddnesses that shouldn't work and probably in the hands of other people wouldn't have worked.
2: Tragic fairy tale.
1: Tragic fairy tale. Yeah. Horror. It's It's got aspects of horror and yet magical realism. Yeah. I think for me, it's... Uh, I love horror and I love fantasy and fairy tales. So for me, it's it's just pretty much the perfect film. It's also got my absolute favourite line of all time. Uh, when Mercedes, I can speak a little Spanish, so I will correct you on your names. Please do. When Mercedes says, uh, you won't be the first pig I've gutted. And then she gives him a half Chelsea smile. <laughs> That's one of my favourite moments in the whole film.
2: Okay. Tells us a lot about you. Yeah, yes, I think. No. we've got Imogen sized up on this They're both one. They're looking a bit nervous now. They're both <laughs> looking, looking a bit nervous. Of all of the rich imagery that you could have picked from <laughs> in this wonderful film, you chose that. I did. Scene in yeah. a shed where yeah. she cuts him in the face. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But it's it's because he's such a he good is villain.
1: Absolutely amazing um, from the Vidal, first. Is it Vidal. Vidal. Mm. Yeah. yeah. From the first moment I thought it was interesting re-watching it, trying to pick up kind of the little key points, and the script is so tight i can't I couldn't find any kind of flab in it at all. Every single moment seemed relevant to pushing the story forward the first time she steps out of the car to meet him and she puts out her hand to shake his hand instead of calling him father and he grabs her hand and just clenches it and mm. i was like wow you're not even the, you're not beating around the bush at all we know straight off the bat that this guy is a complete asshole
0: mm. but again as you say beautifully done because i'm just going to take it back to what i was saying it it kind of shouldn't work he's he's quite a a sort of pantomime villain isn't he Mm. as you say from the Mm. out he's the bad guy and you're going to know that he's the bad guy Mm. but yet
2: it's just Ah, brilliant. something actually something i noticed
1: I've, i've seen it a lot but i hadn't watched it for a period of time until i watched it two days ago it was the first time i noticed there is actually this little side to him that's kind of in there to humanize him which is to do with his dad's watch
2: yeah
1: and it kind of made sense for the first time when he pretends to slice his throat in the mirror and the fact he's obsessed with this watch that his dad smashed as an example to his son of a great way to die and actually
0: Mm. he truly believes he truly he's on
1: uh, yeah and actually i think really wants to die (laughs) Mm. really wants to die in glory frightening
2: isn't yes, it because yeah, that yeah, it, yeah. he's not only a villain he's a villain with a purpose yes and yeah. that that's yeah. quite quite a worrying aspect yeah. i think um
1: but maybe that helps the pantomime villain pantomime villain status because it does add that oh, i don't know i i mean i want to call it a human characteristic because he is i mean for a psychopath <laughs> yeah um as opposed to it just being cruella de vil he's mm-hmm. got that aspect where you know that actually his dad left him this legacy that he can never live up to. The only way to live up to it is to die, which well, that, is awful.
2: I, I think, with the talk of pantomime villains, I think it's worth pointing out the scene where he caves a man's head in oh with a bottle. And I think any kind of sense that he's well, that's a pantomime aspect villain, that I wouldn't
0: be able to cope with. But there, there are what two, three moments of visceral violence, yeah. really horrific violence, and that's
2: really it. And that pulls him out of that pantomime s- status. Because all of a sudden, he's... It, oh, he's that, what, it's shocking. He's he's like it's like an yeah, incredibly yeah. shocking scene. In um, yeah. otherwise, you know, it's been... The pace has been... Um, you know you know it's dark up until yeah. then. Yeah. But I think for me, that that point Kicks in the movie, it, it took a turn. That's and I realised, oh my be. God, this guy is, is truly unhinged. Yeah. Mm. So. I think it's mm.
0: interesting you mentioned the watch as well. I hadn't picked up before when I watched it, but um, I thought this time he's locked into time. Where she isn't. She lives in this timeless world and in fact not to skip to the spoiler endings straight away, but um she isn't gonna her, her existence isn't tied into her mortal existence at all. Whereas his very much is. And actually I read I think this was nine IMDb trivia, but the if you look, Vidal's office, his the main room that they feature him in, is the inside of his watch.
1: There's, there's
0: cogs and things in the. In, it's amazing. And I, I hadn't noticed that before either. But wow. I did notice that yeah, recurring occurring He kind lives of in of time. He's locked in.
1: Circular um. imagery in windows and the lamps, yeah. which could, I suppose, could be, you know, uh, could reference the clock face. But yeah. That's some deep shit. Yeah, but
0: then. detail. I mean, that's. Astonishing. A yeah. pointer, but it's just ridiculous. extraordinary. And I think probably there's a million things that I, I miss. But. You know, it's it's in there at every level. It's amazing.
2: Well, uh, there's a um, people have drawn comparisons as well between Vidal's room and the the cave of the monster. Mm -hmm. Um the the eyeless. Yeah. There's a name the internet have given him which escapes me at the minute. Um, but the the monster that has that puts his eyes in his hands. He's the pale man, isn't he? The pale man. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you look at the layout of Vidal's office. And the layout of the banquet room—they're very, very similar Mm. with the way that the banquet is set up, and the um, and the fire in the background behind his chair and things like that. Lots of lots of parallels there.
1: Interesting.
0: Mm. Should we just go back and watch it again?
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What we need to do is a blow-by-blow account of everything that happens in the film, in case anyone hasn't seen it. Tiny moment.
1: Well, one thing that interests me is that. Again, this is one of my favourite films ever. How did he get it so right here and so wrong elsewhere?
2: Where's the elsewhere you're talking about?
1: I think if you don't know, you need to go <laughs> watch.
0: There's, I don't, I don't not like any of his films, but I don't think any of them come up to this standard. I do think this is a unique film, That's even it. for I mean, it's I think when you watch was... when you watch the others, you can go, okay, this is the guy that should make Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, but still. I struggle when I'm watching it to just go, what is it about this? It's yeah. so good mm. um, over his his other work. Because there's still elements of sort of puppetry about it and there's mm. still elements of, you know, all that stuff that he does in camera, which is lovely and I'm a big fan of, um, but it's still very tactile and you mm. can still feel the filmmaking process. But somehow in this film, it only adds to the film. It doesn't detract from it. Uh, I mean, I, as I'm saying that, I wonder whether it's because all of that stuff is... In the fairy tale world and there are these two worlds mm. and part of that paradox is quite nice that the the post sort of civil war reality is much more natural much more straight drama mm. um, and then actually set against the sort of slightly puppetry aspect it, it feels like that helps it become a different world
2: that mm. well, has everything doesn't it as a film um it's it's a war film it's yeah. in the Civil War. It's, um, it's, it's steeped in political commentary as well um, in terms of the way it, it displays fascism and the Even way... the characters
1: in the fantasy world, like the toad sitting under the yeah. tree, eating it's up all the insects, getting fat on the tree while yeah. it's killing it. It's... Yeah, mm. exactly.
2: And I think there's so many um, aspects to this film. Obviously, there's the fairy tale element, the fantasy element there as well, which all come together seamlessly you don't question it for a minute you don't (laughs) it doesn't feel disjointed in any way the Mm. the storytelling is so good um and that's that's just for a number of factors really but he really did capture lightning in a bottle with this film Mm. i think and that aspect
0: i think what, what you were just saying there the the aspect that it could be in her head is again could be really badly handled you know, it could be very, it could have been very cheesy, she's in in this world, so she's escaping to her books mm. because she loves her books. Mm. And as you say, it doesn't feel like that, it feels real. It feels mm. like the transition of yeah. her seeing a fairy and the fairy taking her into this fairy land, even though the fairy actually is just a weird winged thing.
2: Well, it's, it's that thing like the the adults choose not to see yeah. the fairy yeah. tale. Um I think there's 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 the bit where she puts the the mandrake root yeah. oh, under yeah. the bed, Yeah. and uh, yeah. I was desperately looking to see if it re- resembled the the kind of animated puppet that yeah. you see under the bed when he pulls it out, and it looks close enough, and they do it so well that he could just ignore it. Mm. So whether it's real or not is. Yeah. It's not really. A, it might um, just happen to be a route that looks like
0: it's got a face in it, but we've seen those. It still and he's keeps not that gonna, question open, gonna, which is magical. Yeah, it really uh,
2: helps the film bob along a little bit. So I
1: also quite like the um, dark Alice aspect to it um, when she gets dressed up in her fabulous green dress with the white pinafore and the green bow and she comes down she looks just like alice from alice in wonderland mm-hmm. and then she goes over to the tree and instead of going down the rabbit hole she goes down into the tree but she can't... obviously the outcome is entirely different and it's almost there's also that added aspect of it's kind of a fantasy but the world she's living in is so dark and hideous that she can't maintain the same kind of Alice in Wonderland level of cleanliness, you know, of fantasy because she comes out caked in mud and shivering and her dress is torn or covered in mud or whatever and she cannot... It's like seeing Alice in Wonderland going into a really, really bad place. Not just, you know, the Queen and the Piggy and stuff like that, but a really, really dark place and not managing to get herself out of it, which made me so sad. makes me so sad, that film, in so many ways.
0: Let's talk about the soundscape of it. Yeah. soundtrack, I think, is also really interesting
2: um, because it's quite sparse, isn't it? I'll let Imogen pronounce the composer's name. (laughs) <laughs> it's but she'll do the that. proper pronunciation in a moment sure. um uh, it's fascinating score um incredibly incredibly rich in terms of orchestration um very classical european roots to it um more akin to uh, nothing like a hollywood score at all which is really really interesting because I believe that the directors used um this composer for all of his spanish speaking films, but none of his hollywood films okay so that's just, that's just an interesting turn um but it's because there was
0: quite a lot of pressure on him to do this as a in english was there yeah i'm oh. I'm pretty sure he was offered more money to do it in English, and he turned really? it down because he he said it had to be in spanish yeah had... i think the
2: film is better for it absolutely it stands yeah, up absolutely. Yeah. in a better way, and they of course they probably wouldn't have got some of the actors that they got um it's fine as it is. You wouldn't need to do it no, any exactly. other way.
0: Well, absolutely. Now it's made, yeah, and it's this good. You yeah. have to say, well, any decision that was made was made correctly. But yeah, uh,
2: yeah I thought it was interesting that that. So, was... Carl,
1: Carl, what did you think of Javier Navarrete's um, music? Uh,
2: yeah, I I found it's it's wonderful. Um, it's quite heavy in terms of emotional content at times, mm-hmm. which is a good thing because of the nature of the subject mm-hmm. matter. Of yeah, the film. some of the
0: emotional content is quite heavy,
2: but it it, it runs this this childlike theme throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing, which is the, uh, the lullaby, essentially. And all mm-hmm. themes seem to kind of branch off of that as well. Um, a really, really string-laden score. Um, what I found really, really interesting about the score is that when I was researching this film before, it was talking about how this film sits into the, um, the rule of threes within fairy tales. And then as I looked at the score again, I realised that the, the actual theme is based in three... And there's three bars of three to make mm. the theme happen. Ooh. I just, I Love thought, it. oh, is that? Is, <laughs> that's got to be a conscious decision there. Yeah. The main theme runs three bars of three, um, and I just thought that that must be something there, because of there's so many elements of the film within the plot that run in threes. Um, maybe maybe the composer's taken that on board from the director and and run with it a little bit. But it is beautiful. The the melody is very, it doesn't feel very like
0: beautiful. anything in this film is accidental, does it? No. i thought because interestingly i was listening to the the sound the, the soundscape in general and thought actually there's places where the sound effects sounded a little bit um sort of hyper real they sound a little bit like you wouldn't have put that sound you know it sounds like you recorded it in a booth or mm. um but actually the more i got into it the more i realized that that also sets that bar of what's real and not what's not real so sometimes even in the real world you've got sounds that are slightly kind of too edited and slightly too produced but I think it really enhances that sense of not knowing what's real and what's in her head and you know yeah it's great
1: yeah picking up on the fairy tale thing again um I'd just like to point out I have a master's degree in children's literature
0: um
1: (laughs) (laughs) another thing I find interesting is that there's this kind of common idea that fairy tales are very sweet, and they're not, and they never were. Mm. And the original, I mean, the, even the original Grimm's tales that were published were massively sanitised compared to the versions that were passed down orally, you know, through families and um sitting around the fire and telling hideous tales. For example, Cinderella, one of the original early versions of Cinderella was called Donkey Skin. (laughs) And she basically ran away under a donkey skin pretending to be a donkey because her own father was trying to have sex with her. Um, So fairy tales essentially began in this very, very dark place, which I think is perfect for Pan's Labyrinth because it's, to me, that's what a fairy tale should be. It should have that aspect of... Genuine peril and horror because reading the earliest stuff you can read that's what they're based in. And then Charles Perrault and the whatever he is in France decided to sanitize it and make it worthy of court. But that's another subject. Well, the <laughs> cautionary
2: yeah. tales, aren't they? Mm. Um, yeah, in the ways that you would uh maybe steer your children onto the, yes. the right path. <laughs> and it does feel like perhaps Pan's Labyrinth is that as well, um, mm. in terms of the way it deals with fascism and the the kind of the the plight of people yeah um absolutely it feels like it's a it's a it's a warning
1: um, and the first casualty of war is innocence which is i think one of the big themes of it and despite the ending i don't know if we discussed whether we would talk about the ending or not maybe we don't despite what happens we have never
0: declared that these are all spoilers these podcasts so, we have yeah, okay we should we should
1: despite yeah. the fact that Ophelia dies Which is... (gasps) (laughs) What? She dies? Despite the fact she dies, the little baby brother lives. And that's just this tiny little bit, you know, in the gorilla Mm. group. Even if it's just in this one tiny corner triumph at that moment and that's the little lift you need i think i'm not sure i could have coped well, if ends. it hadn't had,
0: she had does to die to end. allow her to go over to the other side and yeah, fulfil yeah. her destiny yeah, and yeah. be the you know because she wasn't meant to be in the mortal
1: world for long and also anyway. obviously vidal gets the best ending ever yeah. tell my son no <laughs> <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> yeah i think it's a great ending to a great villain um, yeah. For him, I was going to say they go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. I think they they cut between, do they cut between yeah, each between other yeah. as as yeah. her ending is unfolding, so yeah. is his, yeah. and I think that's a really really lovely way to bring both their stories to an end, um, and like because it's the it's the last thing he'd want as well. It's almost like you're stripping him of all his pride and all his kind of yeah. Um, Everything he wanted happened in regards to the watch and everything else is, is taken away from him. So
1: that's what I was saying earlier. I feel like he has this fatalistic destiny to die young with a small son so that he can repeat what his father essentially left him as his legacy, which is you must die young and a hero in a really exciting way, and your son will hear all these. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's beautifully done Which is really nice I wondered, I was just thinking about What were your feelings about Ophelia's mother In terms of the story Hmm I just thought she was a really an Interesting question isn't it? Oh, Thank I just Maybe you could
2: have asked us this before we stick this. <laughs> yeah, Before <laughs> yeah. we decided to record. Feels like something what we happens. should have an opinion <laughs> on You're <Yeah>. right
1: <laughs> I just I was watching it and I was Feeling That essentially, you know, if if her mother hadn't gone off with Vidal, she would not be in this place, she wouldn't be in this mess, she wouldn't die. Mm. But then the mum has a, you know, I mean, he's a psychopath who puts their child in the way of a psychopath and then makes a child with a psychopath. But then there's this really touching little moment where they're lying in bed together and um, Carmen asks Ophelia if she's scared and she says yes. And she says she wants to leave. And then Carmen talks about the fact that it's been so hard and she's been so lonely. And I almost felt like there was a whole other film there in terms of what she'd been through. Yeah. As clearly, you know, quite a poor. Yeah. Person with a, a tailor for a husband. Yeah. We don't know how the husband died. I thought
0: she was a very interesting character. She's not on screen an awful lot, yeah. is she? Uh, you would think she's going to be like a, quite a key character, mm. and she's not. I mean, the, the the femininity of the film is very much in, represented by Ophelia.
1: And Mercedes, come on, yeah, sure.
0: But yeah, I mean, Mercedes is much more of a <laughs> the strong mother figure. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That well, want, that's
1: um, interesting, that isn't it? Because she be. becomes her mother figure in a lot of ways. Yeah. She's there, cuddling her and saying, "I'm going to look after you. I'm going to come back for you." And she does, yeah,
2: because she's a strong, yeah, woman, isn't yeah, she? Absolutely. I think that's the thing. And and the between the three of them between Vidal and Ophelia, um, and and the mother, the mother gets overshadowed.
1: Oh, totally.
2: Character-wise, very mm-hmm. much by Ophelia and Vidal. Yeah. Uh, kind of intentionally, yeah. as well. Yeah. I think it's not. It's. Not, it's, it's she's that's a lesser not a character. In it. Yeah. She's a. She's a lesser character. But also
1: another way to show how Vidal has no respect for human life. Mm. She's a real inconvenience to Vidal. (laughs) If she hadn't been there again, none of that would have happened. Carmen, who is a poor, beautiful woman who he's clearly plucked to um, give him a son, (laughs) would undoubtedly die in childbirth and then he's fine. He's got his his heir. But this little stepdaughter who comes along, and even though she's only... I, I don't know what age she's supposed to be, maybe nine
0: or i think, think the uh, the original script she was supposed to be i think eight or nine yeah um and th- he rewrote it for right. her to be i think she's supposed to be sort older. of 10 she's or 11 a bit right? older isn't she yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but this this because he just yeah, he small with
1: her. small girl if you can look at it in that way this small girl just cocks everything up I mean, she is, she is the little wasp that gets into the car, stings someone, and there's a massive car crash where hundreds of people die. She's this tiny little element that upsets the balance entirely and leads to most of the fascists dying, you know, and, and quite a few of the uh, gorillas as well. And I think, in a way, that's wonderful, because that that tells us that a 10-year-old girl can be so powerful mm even if it's not consciously. But it was through her stubbornness. I mean, it starts when she gets out of the car and refuses to call him father. And that's really the end. That's his demise. And we've Mm. talked about what a psychopath he is and what a, I mean, unhinged, brutal, murdering character he is. And essentially, he's brought down by a 10-year-old girl, which I think is brilliant.
2: Absolutely. Worth mentioning something here, is that (laughs) even though it's called Pan's Labyrinth, um, it's not Pan. It's no. not, is it? It's not. Pan. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really faun. not. Pan. It's not Pan's labyrinth <laughs> yeah. in Spanish. No, it's um a...
1: the labyrinth of the Fawn.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, um, it's. I feel so it's a did... minor detail, but someone didn't really uh
1: <sighs> hit the just, nail on the head yeah. when
2: it came to translating over.
1: Because Pan is a very different. I mean, Pan's a very young,
2: quite a specific character. Uh,
1: yeah. Yes. A kind unique.
2: Of, whereas a yeah. thorn is a, a mythical species yeah. of creatures. Um, Pan is a unique being yeah. So.
1: yeah, it's interesting isn't it I wonder, I mean other than that the um, the subtitles seemed really good to me, so mm. I'd be really interesting, I'd, I'd be really interesting, I You wish.
0: are really interesting would you?
1: <laughs> The subtitles seemed great to me, you know yeah. how sometimes you watch, watch a subtitled film and you think, oh I didn't quite hit the mark or that wasn't quite them. right, that would explain it he, So um, he must th- have made the I think the he was very unhappy with the, devil, with
0: the yeah. devil's backbone uh, which we haven't talked
1: about, but which I love.
0: Um, well. Yeah, I think the, uh, the the subtitles on that apparently he was very un, unhappy mm. with, so he insisted on on writing the subtitles for this
1: one. So, Guillermo, wherever you are, please tell us why you called it Pan's Labyrinth. I'm just interested. That's all.
0: I I think I think I might have read something about this. I think ultimately it was just a marketing thing. I think they just felt right. that we wouldn't understand <laughs> what a faun was necessarily, whereas Pan was. You know, but familiar,
1: he is, I, I, as I'm sure you two know, he is um, a musician. Pan?
2: I didn't know
1: that. Oh, do oh, Pan. Pan? Yeah. Pan? No, not, Guillermo. Oh, not Guillermo. Guillermo. you might be. I don't want to. I don't want to mis-sell you. But yeah, flute, that uh, was it. He's I a flutist. I feel
0: Guillermo's in some dark rock band.
1: Oh, that'd be awesome. He's a <laughs> death, death metal guitarist, isn't he? Death metal, yeah. yeah <laughs> I that'd know. be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the Pans. Um, yeah, I, all I'm All i I'm just on Wikipedia so Pan is the god of the wild, shepherds and flocks, and the nature of mountain wilds and rustic music and companion to the nymphs. I mean, there's something in there. You so can't... don't be
0: put off by the title, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was going
1: to say, you could kind of, you know, there's mountainous and perhaps it's to do... Oh, I don't know. Well, maybe I'm just looking too much into it and it literally maybe. was just something <laughs> they could call it that yeah. people would go, oh, "All yeah. right, right, Pan, yeah. <laughs> but whatever reason... It's gone into the realm of legend to me.
0: Indeed, you should all watch it. Which leaves me to say thank you to Imogen and Carl for joining me and thank you to you for listening. Don't forget that you can email us at podcast at sonicfruit.co.uk or you can tweet at us via at sonic underscore fruit. The Sonic Fruit Film Podcast is produced by Sonic Fruit with music by Carl Cole and engineering by Jake Kenny and Jordan Brett. For more information, check out sonicfruit.co.uk.
1: Did you record it, then That's a good question. <laughs> I
0: think I did. I did actually look over your shoulder at
2: one point. <laughs> I, I'd love it if we had to do this a third yeah. time because yeah. that would fit so well.